of you just know, some of you guys are saying, well, we got to pray for him because he's wearing that demon shirt. No, that's not true. If you must know, uh, it's the logo of a very famous poet who once penned the words, it's about drive, it's about power. We stay, oh my gosh, you guys know this song? Oh, you guys are terrible. Uh, JP, you want to finish the rest of that? He said no. Um, I only know that song because one of you guys, again, I won't put you on blast, but one of you guys sent it to me, but doesn't matter who. Pray for Pete Joey, too, while you're praying for me. Pastor Joey is currently suffering in Cabo, Mexico, where it is uh, blistering 86 degrees. So, you know, we, we really got to keep him in prayer. He asked me to fill in while he suffers down there in Mexico. I'm sure he's having a very, very difficult time and missing the 40-degree weather that we are currently in right now. Speaking of someone who suffered for the Lord, I'm going to talk to you guys about a man named Elijah from the Old Testament. Some of you guys may know of him, some of you may not know of him, but basically Elijah was a pretty big deal. As far as men of God in the Old Testament go, old, uh, Elijah, I would say he's, he's up there. Uh, he is one of two people who in Matthew 17 witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. So if you don't know, in Matthew 17, uh, Jesus takes three of his disciples up on a mountain and basically the glory of the Lord shines on him or his face shines like the glory of the Lord and Moses and Elijah are there with him. So to be in that company of the yeah, one, two, three, four, five, do my math, six people, to be one of those six, that's pretty awesome. Fun fact, Elijah is one of two people in the Bible who never died so even Jesus died. I'm not saying Elijah is greater than Jesus. Don't suspend words. I'm just saying that Elijah never died, and there's only two people in the Bible who never died. Basically, when it was his time on earth, God just said, I'm just going to take you up. He just, he just went straight up to heaven, okay? So he didn't suffer a physical death. Some people believe if you've gotten through to the end of the Bible, you know that Revelation is the last book of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 11, where it talks about the tribulation, the end times, in verse 5, it talks about two witnesses. Now, it doesn't give their names, but a lot of people do believe that one of these two people are Elijah, is Elijah. Someone who knows English, you can say it better. All right, is. We're going to go with is. All right, survey says is. Is Elijah. And in Revelation chapter 11, verse 5, verse five you're not going to see it on the screen, but I'll read it to you. Uh, it talks about these two witnesses of the Lord. Again, one of them possibly, probably, being Elijah, it says, if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. Um, okay, that's, that's pretty crazy. So, you know, Iron Man's got his thing and Hawkeye's got his thing, whatever. And then this guy who maybe is Elijah just breathes out fire. And I don't mean like the kind of fire that you guys breathe out, like when you're like trying to witness like Jesus, and like people are like, you know, taken back, but that's, just, that's your breath. That's something different. That's why we're all wearing masks. It's really not COVID. It's just COVID, we just made it up because you know, some of your breath be stanky. Um, Listerine guys, look it up. It's, it's good for you. But anyways, so talking about Elijah, suffering for the Lord in 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, verse 21. I'll give you a little bit of a backdrop. So Elijah is a major prophet of his day. And um, there's a, a wicked king whose name is Ahab. There's a wicked queen whose name is Jezebel. Uh, if you're planning on having kids, if you have kids, well, if you have kids, hopefully you've named them already. Please, God, I hope you name them. If you haven't, go see counseling. 
But if you're planning on having kids and you have a daughter, please don't name them Jezebel. It's not one of the prettiest names out there, or at least it's not based off a really good person in the Bible. So they are wicked rulers of Israel, and they set up um, idols, or they worship Baal, who is one of the false gods in the Old Testament. And Elijah is basically opposing them for a lot of his ministry uh, at that time. And so Elijah comes up with this idea, or the Lord comes up with this idea, or not, the Lord has this plan, I should say, it's probably a better way to say it, where Elijah and the prophets of Baal, they go and they go to a mountain and they basically have kind of like a contest where Elijah is going to call on God to send fire on a sacrifice and then the prophets of Baal, they're going to do the same thing, right? And who, whosoever God sends fire on that sacrifice, that will be the way that people know that this is the true God, right? So we're going to take it from 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. Here we go. It says, Elijah went before the people. So he's talking to the people of Israel. He says, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Now we're going to bounce around a little bit. It's a very long text, but I, I cut out a little bit there. You can read the, the full length of it at home. But just to save some time, I did, some, I did cut some parts out. So Elijah is saying, hey, guys, you guys are waving. You guys are going back and forth. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're in, and, and you're all in. You know, God, I love you. God, we follow you. God, we saw what you did. We saw you part the Caesar. We heard the stories of what you did with Moses. And, and, and so we're giving our hearts to you. And then, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, but, but, but Baal, like, you know, I don't know, you're kind of cute too. But, and, and, so, and so they're worshiping two gods, and they have these two opinions. And quite frankly, that's kind of how we are a lot of times. And so Elijah says to the people, Guys, you got to make up your mind. What are you going to do? Are you going to follow God or are you going to follow this false god, Baal? And it says in verse 21, but the people said nothing. And so here we get to the, the meat of the story here in verse 26. It says, so they, the prophets of Baal, they being the prophets of Baal, they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning Till noon. So this is, this is not a 10-minute, 30-minute kind of challenge. This is quite an extensive challenge, if you will, that they're taking part in. And they're saying, Baal, answer us. I kind of feel like, Baal, I don't know why. Okay, Baal, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And this is the funny part too. And then they danced. They danced around the altar they had made. So, so they're shouting. They're like, Baal, 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 you know, send fire. Baal, we worship you. I don't know. The other part, I didn't need to do that with that. Okay, anyway, it doesn't matter. And so then nothing happens, right? And so now they're like, Baal, Baal, you know, Baal. Come, come, like, come answer our cries, right? I, I would twerk. I mean, never mind. All right, we're not going to do that. The, and, and, you know, the, the only reason why I know uh, what twerking is is because Jonathan showed us one time at a staff meeting, and I could never forget it. But in any case, that's a joke. It didn't really have. Some of you guys are like, oh, my God, like, is there, is there video of that? No, stop it. Okay, and so verse 27. So remember, from morning till noon, they're worshiping Baal. They're crying out to Baal. They, these prophets of Baal, they want to prove to the people of Israel that Baal is the true God. And of course, there's no answer. In verse 27, it says, at noon, Elijah, I love Elijah because he's just, he's got this, um, 
I mean, he's kind of a savage, right? He kind of just, he's a troll. He doesn't really care. He's so confident in God. So at noon, Elijah, in verse 27, began to taunt, taunt them. He says, shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is in deep thought or busy or tra- like traveling. Like, like Bal was like, you know what, guys? Like, I got my ticket. I got a really good deal, first class. Like, I, I, I'm sorry. I would love to answer your prayer, but I got to go to Cabo to meet up with P. Joey, and it's 87 degrees, and where I'm at right now, like, it's not that comfortable. So maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Verse 28. So they shouted louder. And, and then this is crazy when I was reading this. And slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood Flow. This is like where it was, it was kind of funny, you know, they're singing, and then they're dancing, and then they're shouting louder, and then they got all crazy and weird and just took some swords out, and we're like, you know, we're going to let our blood flow from our arms and from our bodies, as if now Baal's going to answer. And then verse 29, midday passed, so now we're past noon, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. and He dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two of seeds. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Verse 34, he said, do it again. Everyone, I've seen you move. You move the mountain. And, okay, you, could, you know what? We'll work on it later, okay? Uh, so do it again, he said. And they did it again. He said, do it a third time. There's no song called do it a third time, so I can't sing that one. He ordered... And they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Verse 36, I know we're reading a lot here, but I want you to hear the story. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. So before we get to verse 38, let's just recap, right? So it's Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. The prophets of Baal have their opportunity. They cry out, nothing happens. Nothing happens to the sacrifice. No fire comes down. And then in verse 36, Elijah steps forward. And he starts, he begins to pray. He, he orders people to come around. He says, he says, pour water. No, 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 pour more water. No, he says, do it again. Pour the water. And then he prays. And part of the thing in his prayer that if you've got to take a look at, you might have noticed, he says, he says, answer me so that they will know that you are the Lord and that I am your servant. So kind of what he's saying is like, like God, like, like vindicate me. Like God, make yourself known to these people. But at the same time, like let them know that you sent me. Because he's kind of up against the odds, right? It's him versus 450 people. Those are not really good odds in his favor. Then in verse 38, it says, And the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. So it didn't just burn up the sacrifice. It burned up everything. 
right? All of it. So God shows up, and then verse 39, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Just take a moment to think about that. Imagine you're there, right? And you're figuring out, like, man, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I need a sign. And so you, you're there, you're waiting. You're like, okay, Bal, if it's you, man, like, like, do your thing. Bal, if it's you, if we're supposed to worship you, show up. And you're waiting, and it's 9 o'clock, and it's 10 o'clock, and it's 11 o'clock, and then it's noon, and then it's past noon, and nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, here comes Elijah, and he, he comes up to pray, and then the fire comes instantly, and you're, oh my gosh, like, I know what to do. A sign from heaven. And then they all fell, and they cried. I mean, can you imagine just being there like from, from one moment, you're not sure, and the next one, you, you know for sure, like, God is God. God is real. God is the one that I'm supposed to follow. And they all did it. And they bowed and they cried out to God. And then verse 40, the Bible just has some, man, you can't do this in 2021, right? Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them. And Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered. Like, like God, like, is this even necessary? So they killed all the prophets of Baal. And what's really interesting about this is, remember in verse 18, in chapter 18, verse 21, remember when Elijah said to them, hey guys, you gotta make up your mind. You're wavering back and forth. Like, what, what do you wanna do? You remember what happened? In verse 21 it said, the people said nothing. They had no response. They, they didn't, they're, they're like, uh, Elijah, mm, I don't know. Like, we'll just wait and see. And then, for, that's, the first part of the day or the early part of the day, and all of a sudden, within like a, maybe a 12, 15-hour period or so, they are so fully convinced that God is God, that everything Elijah, Elijah tells them to do, they just go ahead and do it. Elijah's like, yeah, yeah, go, go chase him down. All right, we're going to chase him down. Yeah, no, no, go kill him. All right, we're going to kill him. And they're so convinced that God is God. They went from one end to the other. Have you ever been there? From one end to the other? Some of you guys, before Momentum, you weren't really sure. And then you came back that weekend, man, I just, I just know God is real. Here's the crazy thing. This is one of the most um, just incredible moments in the, in the Bible where, where God proves himself against the people who are against him, right? Those who are unwilling, where God says, you know what? I'm going to prove to you that I'm God, where God vindicates a man. Elijah is by himself against the 450 prophets of Baal. And he's saying, God, vindicate me. And God does exactly that. But the, the chapter ends, but the story doesn't. Because what happens after that, and again, I cut some verses out, but what happens after that is, is Ahab tells his wife, Queen Jezebel, who is incredibly, incredibly wicked, he tells her what happened. He, he tell, he, he's like, he's like Bay, we lost. We lost. We had this whole thing. I was so sure we had 450 prophets against one dude. The guy poured water over everything, and the fire still came, and then it burned up everything. It even burned up the water. It burned up everything, and we lost. And she says, she says, she sends a messenger to Elijah and says, we going to kill you. Hide your neighbors. Hide your children, right? Like, we are going to go find you. And we are going to go 
kill you. And then we pick up the story here in chapter 19, verse 3. This is the same guy we're talking about. The same guy that vindicate me, God. This is the same guy with all the confidence. He's taunting the prophets of Baal. He is so sure who God is. He is so sure of who God called him to be. And then in verse 3 of chapter 19, it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Verse 13, then a voice said to him, this is about, you know, maybe 20, 30, 40 days in. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord says, go home. And then he tells him to anoint people, which basically just means he he says, go find these people, anoint them, which means to say to them, God has called you for a specific task. God, like they would put oil on, on, he would have put oil on their heads and said, God wants you to do such and such, right? So God tells him, go anoint these people. And then God says to him in verse 18, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Okay, so what are we looking at here? We're looking at a man who in one moment is probably the most on fire believer, if you will, the most on fire follower of God, literally saw the fire of God fall on the sacrifice, literally saw God prove himself to not just him, not just the prophets of God, but the entire country of Israel. So he gets proof from God that God is God. He gets vindication from God in front of all the people that he is called by God. And, and, I, and I, look at, I look at it as, as if he's riding this kind of like spiritual high. Like he's just on this, like, oh my gosh, like that was so crazy cool. I would have never thought that that would ever happen to me. And then just moments later, he's saying, God, I'm, I'm done. God, I don't want to live anymore. He's not even saying, like, God, I'm ready to, to leave the faith. He's saying, God, I, I don't want to live. I don't want to be alive. I don't want to breathe. And he's crying out to God and saying, God, take my life. And he says this phrase that I think we've said to ourselves over and over again. I know I've said it to myself in my 38 years here on earth. He says, I'm the only one. Maybe you've said it like this, I'm all alone. God says to him in verse 18, you're not alone. There's 7,000. We've got 7,000 followers who haven't given in, who haven't worshipped this false god. They're with you. They may not, you may not see them, but they're with you. You are not alone. And it's so crazy to me to see the, the, the juxtaposition of the two different Elijahs, one in chapter 18 and one in chapter 19, uh, juxtaposition just means the, the, like to compare and to contrast. I know because I looked it up early, earlier in you know, dictionary.com. So a new word that you guys learned. But, but to go from one end of being so confident in God, so sure of God, and then to I, I want to die. And I thought of you guys because I've been there before where, where you go to momentum. And, and I, I heard that some of you guys going into momentum, 
you guys did the right thing by really pressing into God, which is what you're supposed to do, because you, it carries even more weight, right? And some of you guys, you weren't doing so great, and then you went to momentum, and God did something in your life, and that's amazing too. But the reality is that very quickly, all of that can just go away. I've been there. I can't tell you how many conferences I've been to and, and felt like this was it. This is like this, I know for sure. Or how many, even as a high school student, like, like leading worship services and, and, and seeing God do things. Like, I, I mean, I saw God like, like break a, a gangbanger in our school. And I saw him like weeping at the altar and, and I was there leading worship and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so incredible. And then the next day I'm just living my life like nothing ever happened. Like I get it. I've been there. Leaders, I'm sure you've been there. Students, I'm sure you've been there. And God shows us that here's a man in Elijah who was maybe the closest thing to, to being a man of God, right, at that time, at that day. Like, if there was ever a man of God in his day, it would have been him. And he was there, too. To, to feel like in one moment, like, I'm there, I'm on the top of, like, nothing will ever shake me. I'll never, I'll never leave you, God. I'll never doubt you. And then, just maybe a few moments later, something happens. Right? And you're scared and you're alone and you're terrified and, and you feel like, God, like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And I get that. And what I want to say to you guys is what God said to him, you are not alone. I think one of the most powerful things about momentum, and there's a lot of components that go into it that, that make it for such a special event, and even thinking about like the baptisms that we had um, last Sunday, you have, you, you've got the worship, right? The worship is amazing. The speaker is amazing. But I think one of the things that we don't think about so much, or maybe you do, and maybe it's just something I never really thought of until recently, one of the best things about it is that you're with other people. Can you imagine what it would have been like if you were at, uh, at that big church if you're here on a Sunday, you're getting baptized, you're at a conference, and, and the band is doing their thing, and they're professionals, and they're amazing, and they bring in this guest speaker, and he's giving this amazing word, or she's giving this amazing word, and that's amazing, but you're the only one sitting there? What kind of impact? How would it be different? Would it have the same impact on you? Or would it just be kind of weird? There's something about being together. There's something about seeing other people, right? This is why as pastors, and, and maybe I'm kind of giving up secrets of the trade or so, um, I kind of feel like that guy who, who like gave out all the magic secrets and that people hate him because he just basically ruined people's lives. But anyways, pastors, when they give an altar call, you know, sometimes like they'll, they'll, they'll turn and face the stage when they're giving an altar call. All they're hoping for is just one person to come up. Not saying every time, but a lot of times. They're just hoping for one person to come up. Because if one person does it, someone else will do it too. So you're kind of just waiting for that, that one person. Because there's something in us, like, when you see someone else do it, I see it on, on Wednesday nights when we open the mic and pastor says, you know, we're looking for people to pray. There's always, like, this first kind of, 
I don't know, 45 seconds, a minute and a half or so, we're like, ah, I'm not so sure. I don't know if I should do it. But as soon as that first person goes, all of a sudden it's like, hey, get out of my way. I want, I want to say something too. And it's like, yo, yo, chill, chill. Like, you could have came up first, you know? It's like Black Friday. There's something about seeing other people doing There's something about doing with someone else. That's why when you're working out, it's easier. You're more motivated when someone else is doing with you. When you're doing your devos, you're more motivated when someone else is doing with you. Can I tell you something? People always talk about how much I eat a lot, which I'm not really sure why. I guess it has something to do with me eating a lot. But <laughs> you got that? Cool. But for some reason, there's something in me. When I'm home, oh, I guess I kind of do. Now, this is a bad story. I, I eat a lot every, all the time. Never mind. No, but honestly, when I'm with someone, there's something in me that's like, I feel like eating more. If I see someone, like, they're eating a lot, and they're like, are you going to finish it? Like, well, now I'm going to finish it because you said, oh, you're going to finish it. Now I'm going to finish it. We spur each other on. The Bible says that, that it's good and pleasant when, when we dwell in unity. And unity doesn't mean that we agree on absolutely everything because I know that we don't. I absolutely know that we don't agree on everything. David, for some reason, thinks that Batman can beat Superman, which is just, I mean, he's called Superman for a reason. Batman just has a belt. Like, he's got a really nice belt. I mean, that's great. You got a belt. Okay, good. He's Superman. He's at his actual powers. So we don't agree on something that is actually very, very important. We don't agree. But we can still be united right? When we worship together, when we talk to each other, we can be united. It's not about agreeing on every little detail. It's about understanding that this person is for you and understanding that you're for this person. And that's what we want to do here at Excel. That's what we want to do at Belmont. We want to spur each other on. Leadership can be lonely. Aaron Count, if you guys can come up. Leadership can be lonely. Not so much in as you become a leader, as you grow, as you grow in being a leader, that, that now you have less friends or less people in your life. It's, it's not, that's not what I'm talking about. But, but more so, the further you go in your faith, the further you want to grow as a leader, you kind of find that there's not as many people that want to go with you. I think there was a reason why Elijah was by himself on that day, right? You guys hear what I'm saying? In Matthew chapter 26, uh, I'm not, you don't have to put it on the screen, but, but basically Jesus, he has his disciples, and this is before he's about to die, and, and he, he has his, his 11 disciples with him, and he goes to this garden where he's gonna pray before he dies. And, and as he goes further into the garden, he, he tells some of them, like, hey, you guys stay here. And then he tells Peter, James, and John, who were also there at the transfiguration where Moses and Elijah showed up. He says, Peter, James, and John, you guys, you guys come with me. Right? So, so understand what, what's happening here. Jesus is going to pray. He takes his disciples and he says, I'm going to go a little bit further. I want you guys to stay here. And then I want the three of you, Peter, James, and John, I want you to come with me. And then as he goes on a little further, he says, Peter, James, and John, I want you to stay right here. I'm going to go further, but I want you to pray with me. But I'm going to be over here. And I think it's a picture of as we want to pursue the Lord, as we aim to chase him, as we make him our prize and our goal, you got to understand that not everyone's going to be willing to go as far as you're willing to go. 
crazy part about that story is that when Jesus came back, even his three, his top three, his best were sleeping. And he says to them, like, couldn't you pray with me for an hour? I think this is such a timely word because I know I've gone through these moments where I've been discouraged. And I think a lot of us, like I said before, you felt that way where you're on this high after momentum or after baptisms. Can I tell you something? There have been so many people that I've seen who have gotten baptized and it's amazing. I'm telling you, it's incredible. We love it. We always talk about it in our staff meetings. I loved seeing Matthew just give P. Joy, this, this big hug. It was such a powerful moment. And we've had so many of those throughout the years. I've, I've had the, the opportunity, the pleasure to witness so many of those baptisms in my six plus years or so here at Belmont. But you know what happens a lot of times? And I hope that it doesn't happen to you guys if you got baptized on Sunday. A lot of times, weeks, months later, we don't see those people. Like a lot of the people. And I'm not going to sit here and, and try to tell you why. Or I just, I'm just saying that there's so many times where like we reach this kind of spiritual high, this pinnacle, this, this achievement. And then maybe we just decide, you know what, that's enough. Like I'm good. Like I settle. I don't know. But it's so easy to go from here to here, right? Elijah was, he was there. He was like, look what I saw. And then the next moment he was saying, I just, I don't want to be alive. And so for that reason, I feel like God gave me this word. But also because the holidays, you know, we were talking about it in pre-service prayer. The holidays can be rough on a lot of us. The holidays can be lonely for a lot of us, if we're being honest with ourselves. Some of it is because we get outside of our routine. You know, we're not here at church as much. We're not at school as much. And, um, you know, you're around family, but for a lot of us, the family that we're around, we don't really know. And, and we consider each other family more than our actual family, which is not a right or wrong thing, but it just makes for a couple weeks or so where we're not around the people that we're actually closest to. I know for me, growing up, I've said this before, you guys know, I didn't have a dad. And so my mom, she worked crazy hours and she always worked either Thanksgiving or Christmas. Like she would kind of alternate um, between, you know, one from one year to the next. And so there were times where Thanksgiving, we didn't do anything or Christmas, like we didn't do anything. And so the holidays really never meant a whole lot to me. And it even got to the point where I remember I was, uh, I want to say a sophomore or a junior in high school, and I was talking to one of my teachers. It was a really big influence on in my life. I was at a Christian school, and she said to me, well, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? And I just said, I'm going to do what I did last year. She said, what did you do last year? I said, I went to Denny's. I ordered turkey by myself right here in Harlem by Montrose. And she was like, no, 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 you got to come over. Like, I, I have a family. Uh, we, we, can, we can have you guys. We would love to have you over. And I, and I just said, you know, I'd actually, I'd, just, I'd rather be alone. I'm just, I'm used to being alone. It, it makes sense to me. It's comforting to me. And she was so amazing. She was probably one of the first people to 
kind of butt in my life. Leaders, if you want to be a good leader, sometimes you got to butt in the students' lives, right? Just like the other leaders did for you or PJOY did for you. And, and she said, okay, fine. Go to Denny's, but I'm going to meet you there. And I said, okay, like, that's fine. And so she did. And even as I grew up, like, or grew older into being an adult, it, the holidays still didn't really mean anything to me, even after getting married. You know, we'd get invited places, and I would tell Susan, like, I just, I don't want to go. Like, it's just something in me. Like, every time this season comes around, everyone's really happy. And, and that's the thing. You can be around a lot of people, and so physically you're not alone, but emotionally you are. I've been there. And so even being married, I just never wanted to, to go anywhere. And it wasn't until we had kids that I changed things up because I didn't want my kids to go through the same thing that, that I went through. But there's even times, even in fact, for Thanksgiving, last Thanksgiving, we had a lot of food. And I, I took about 30 minutes. I, I went to McDonald's on Thanksgiving <laughs> because White Castle was closed. Shame on them. And there was something comforting about that. And some of us, we've just gotten really comfortable in the loneliness and I feel like God is saying he wants to bring you comfort in the loneliness. He doesn't want you to be comfortable in the loneliness. You hear the difference there? He doesn't want you to settle there. But him bringing comfort is him being there. Like we were singing earlier, lead me to you. Right? His love's uncomplicated. It's simple. I think about the story of Christmas, right? Jesus coming to earth as a baby He could have have just did it without inviting anyone. But he invited the shepherds, right? And he invited the wise men. And he invited people like Simeon and Anna. It was all about saying, hey, come close. Don't be alone. And I'm thankful that growing up as a believer, that I had leaders who wouldn't leave me alone And you guys should be thankful to have leaders who don't leave you alone. And I'll just end with this, and it's not going to be on the screen, but Galatians chapter 6 says, Paul, he tells us to bear each other's burdens. That means Sal's going through something. I see Sal carrying something. It's something heavy. I got to come alongside him and say, hey, Sal, like I'm going to help carry this with you. Right? And I've had people do that for me. I'm sure Leaders, you guys have had someone do that. And then you do that for others. And students, you do that for others. And it doesn't even matter the age. Because like, some of us think like, you know, that, that I can't do this for my leader, right? Or I can't do this for P. Joy because he's there and I'm, no, 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 no. You know, one of, the favorite, one of my favorite things or sources of comfort, I guess, or encouragement that I get is from Matthew. You know, my, I've said when I spoke last time, I talked to you guys about the stuff that we're going through as a family with Susan being sick and Jack with autism. And it, it's, it's all kinds of craziness. And we have so many people who are praying for us. And, and they're all encouraging. But I love Matthew's bowl. He'll just, he'll just text me, like, hey, do you need anything? Hey, hey can, Sal, Sal will come over and, like, bring donuts. Like, guys, you can do it for each other. Some of you are saying, some of your students are saying, I'm in a really good place. Oh, great. Now help someone else get there. Right? And don't worry about the age. Don't worry about, you know, where you're at in faith or anything like that. Just do as Galatians 6 says, bear each other's burdens. 
So I'm gonna close this out in prayer. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna break up into small groups. Um, we can have a section here. You guys can move the chairs if you want and, and here and then one in the back and then one up here if you guys wanna use the stage. Whatever you guys wanna do, leaders, that's up to you. And, and I want you guys to talk, because I know we're, tomorrow's the last day of small groups and then there's that break and, and it's during that break, again, that, that break in the routine where for a lot of us, we kind of get stuck. Or we find ourselves going back to some things that we, we were doing before Momentum or some things that we were doing before we were on fire for the Lord. And I want you guys to, to talk about, honestly, where are you at? It's been two weeks. Some of you guys are going to say, you know what? Two weeks ago, I was great, and, and now I'm not. And that's okay. But we want to go through it together. And I know your leaders are here to support you to love on you, and to bear your burden. So I want to encourage you guys. Um, you know, we've got about 18 minutes or so. If you need longer, take longer. Um, but, but talk about it. And then leaders, come up with some kind of a plan. How are you going to keep in touch with, with these students? How are you going to help them throughout the break and show up for each other so that we don't get to that place where Elijah got to? Because if, if someone like Elijah can get there, oh, for sure I can get there oh, for sure you can get there and it won't take much. But God, we thank you that you're faithful. That even in times where we feel alone, that you remind us that we're really not, that there are others who have similar struggles, that there are others who are making every attempt to pursue you, that there are others who are in that fight with us, resisting temptation, chasing after you, trying to know you, trying to leave behind the old life, Lord. And in the days ahead, in these holidays, Lord, where a lot of us, we feel the loneliness, even just with the change in weather, we get depressed, the lack of sunlight, Lord, there's so many things that, that would come against us. There's so many things that would come and try to interrupt the momentum, the energy that we had for momentum or even before that, whenever the case may be from summer camp, Lord. And we know that these events, they're not enough to sustain our relationship with you and we need each other. So I pray for these students, for these leaders, Lord, give them your spirit, give them your heart for each other to carry each other's burdens, to be there for one another, to show up for one another if they have to drag each other across the finish line, if they have to drag each other along on this race, Lord, let us do what it takes as we follow you. For those of us who are, we want to grow in leadership and we struggle because we see that some, some of our friends, they, they don't want to pursue the way that we want to. God, give us the strength to, to simply do what's right, God. And so as we break up into groups, Father, I pray for open, honest discussion. I pray for um, no judgment, no condemnation, Lord, but only love, only of an outpouring of grace and kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, so go ahead and leaders, you guys know what to do. Get your students, get into your groups, take as much time as you need, talk it through, think about what you're gonna do in the next month or so, especially during this small group break.